Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. And it's our pleasure this week to introduce our friend and fantastic food grower, Danny from Lawson's Market Garden. How's your week going, Danny? Yeah, it's good. It's been very good. Very, very hot, as you guys are fully aware, I'm sure. Yeah, mate. It's absolutely scorcher today. And then, as Chris just said, he just said it got caught in a downpour, two inches <laughs> of rain in the pathways, which is like unbelievable to us because I'm just like, I could do with running through that rain right now. <laughs> I, don't, uh-huh. I don't think it's helped, though. I really don't. <laughs> like, it's still boiling hot. The only thing I've had to do is shut all the windows and doors because the rain was coming in, and now I'm even hotter. So <laughs> it's not helped. Just increased humidity levels for you. Yeah, which is nice. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's been, it's, well, some of us had a bit of a tough season, but it's going okay your end. It's going touch wood. Yeah, so far, so good. I mean, and I said, as I said to you a moment ago, like the problems that have arisen have been easily replaced with other crops. I've, I was saying to Jack as well, because it's a CSA model that I'm running here now. And from the get-go, I wanted to make sure that there was a really wide variety of crops. So I wasn't just, you know, pumping courgettes out for a month or two. <laughs> yep. um, I, there's always a, there's always something to fall back on, which was part of the plan. It's also the reason why I kind of work 24 seven. It's a lot of work to, <laughs> to ensure, you know, um, continual uh, variety, but at the same time, that's, it backs me up as well. Yeah, definitely, mate, doesn't it? It's just, it's nice to see that diversity in the garden. And I think because you're a little bit more established now as well, um, you're seeing kind of like the fruits of stuff that you planted in the first year as well, especially when I've come up and visited. So you've kind of got that perennial established, which I I like, which kind of uh, helps in the hunger gap as well, I suppose. That's why you started some of your There's still a way to go. I mean, mm. like some of the apple trees, I've got, I've got like two or three apples in some of the apple trees. So mm-hmm. there are perennials growing, but they're not necessarily in that, you know, that cushy spot of you've got an abundance of apples this year. Yeah. Um, saying that the raspberries are pumping, um, the rhubarb, those kind of things. Um, I have struggled with blueberries, never really had much success with blueberries. I don't know if it's perhaps the soil isn't quite acidic enough here yet. Um, and my attempts at acidifying the soil have been... Um, Somewhat, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, know, you don't have to say, <laughs> mate. I know, <laughs> but no, yeah, there are some things. I've got a good quince crop this year by the looks of it as well. Um, some things are working really well. Um, yeah, it's, it's all good fun. So, we like to go back a little bit when we first interview you, and um, we just like to say, like, let's tell us about Danny and then what you do. Okay, well, I'm, I'm very much into um the whole permaculture side of things that, you know, living in symbiosis with the nature, um, I try and do as little harm as possible. So I, I tend to run a no kill ethos on the farm. So, mm. and if anything, like for example, where pests come into um, the question, I don't personally kill them. They get fed to the chickens, mm. <laughs> that, ki- that kind of spin on things, you know, mm. but um, I like to prevent pests from occurring in the first place. Um, but yeah, permaculture uh, is, a, is a massive driving 
force behind most things that I do from the moment I wake up in the morning to when I go to bed. It's just part of my blood, I guess, you know, it, it's a big driving force. Um, how I've incorporated the permaculture principles into the farm. Um, like we discussed a moment ago, a lot of the, the perennials I've planted for the longevity in terms of like, the food forest that I've planted, it's in its uh, juvenile state at the moment, but as I plan to be here for quite a long time, um, or at least until, you know, somebody kicks me off or something like that. Um, but I, I just love being outdoors, man, all, all day, every day. So I just get immersed in what I'm doing. Um, and rather than seeing my uh, the business as a business, it's more of like my passion that's become an income, if you like, a means of providing an income. So I don't stress too much about it. I The only things I get stressed about are, I don't know, I don't get stressed about that much, actually. <laughs> I get stressed <laughs> about people, people mainly. I don't have blight in the polytunnels. It's just the, so this might be a bit too offensive to people. It's just the blight of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, I just, I like to take things fairly easy. I work really hard, but I don't get stressed about it. I just work hard enough to make sure there's, there's enough food to feed all of my customers and myself and have fun in the meantime as well. Yeah, living, that's the life, mate. That's, it's kind of bottled up exactly what we're trying to do but also the, back to the roots of why you do it as well which is which is perfect yeah and I think becoming a parent you know quite young um, has really pushed me to want to raise my children right I can say children now we've recently had a second child so there's plural congratulations there. mate thank you so that yeah um, it's, it's really exciting to watch my daughter like you know being raised on the farm as well um eating seasonally with us like you know her first foods was strawberries and now that she's we mentioned before now that she's teething she's eating cucumbers which are cooling and really helping her her teeth to come through um it's it's a beautiful way to raise a child in my opinion and i you know it's i wouldn't have it any other way i love that absolutely love that but for context danny um uh, how much space is lawson's market garden on and sort of how many how many families are you feeding from that okay so um the entire plot is mm. surrounded by a fence it's one third of an acre so mm. i think it's 15 meters wide by 100 meters long i'm pretty sure i got my maths right i think it's one third of an acre yeah. um and i'm currently selling 30 veg boxes a week Awesome. Um, and that is for the CSA this year, it's a six month season from May through to October. And then on top of that, I have a few dropping customers week by week. And then I, I sell to three or four restaurants as well. That's incredible. As, as, as well as doing it. our best. Yeah. And we try our best to be self-sufficient too. So, you know, we make a lot of our own preserves. For example, I, I just made my first batch of mayonnaise. I had, I had some mm. homemade mayonnaise. Mm. I found in a charity shop a couple of weeks ago a, a hand whisk, <laughs> so like a food processor type thing. So we had homemade fritters with homemade mayonnaise. And the satisfaction from just, you know, walking a few meters, picking the vegetables fresh, like the, if they had a heart, it would still be pumping whilst we were eating it. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that fresh. It's, and I, I live for that. It's, I love it. It's uh, eat, eating electric food. Yeah, baby. Yeah, it, man. <laughs> what is it? The prana. The prana is still flowing. The energy, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but um, 
how did this all start for you? What were you doing before you were growing? Um, okay, so I only really started getting into growing when my, my first child was born, my son. He's now 11. Mm-hmm. Um, through much of the, for what we discussed a moment ago, like I just wanted to raise him right. I wanted to feed him right. Um, before he was born, I was working in retail. I spent the best part of 10 years working in retail, um, fashion retail of all things. I worked at Superdry for several years, um, worked at H&M as well. Am I allowed to say brand names? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. Those, those, those brands I was working for. And I, was, <laughs> I was working my way up through, you know, the whole retail um, menagerie, what we would call it. Yeah. Um, and I just, it just didn't fulfill me. And, you know, when I was, I was selling shirts for 50 quid that were made by young children in Thailand that cost 17p to the company, it just, it wasn't, it didn't um, rub me up the right way, let's say. Mm. So um, I started to grow my own food, a little veg patch in the back garden, um, you know, making homemade bread and things like this, making jams with my boy. And that's kind of where the passion started. You know, I could see that that was that the interaction myself and my son had with the, nat- with the natural world and just our back garden really inspired me to progress and explore and to get to eventually to the point where I am now, where I've just turned that passion into a, relatively comfortable income mm. yeah long time in retail <laughs> <laughs> but i can't say that you know i regret any of this you know i'm, I'm quite a, yeah, as you guys know sales is part of what we do i have to you have to be good at selling stuff and i developed interpersonal skills you know i can talk to people i can talk to customers face to face and that's all part of it you know as well as the growing side of things if you want to be a market gardener and you want to be a successful market gardener you can't just be good at growing potatoes. You've got to be able to sell those potatoes and you've got to be able to fetch a price that's going to be, you know, worth your while as well. So there's, there's many skills that you need in the market gardening world, I think. Yeah, that, that's perfect. That's such a segue into our next question because we always ask what skills are transferable from your old job um, to, your, ah, okay. to your new job. So like, for example, what you said about um, the customer skills, which is great. And some people don't always see that if they're in, say they're in retail now, they're like, mm, what transferable skills would I take to a market garden? And you've kind of summed it up really nicely. But me uh, personally visiting your farm, Danny, as well is you're very handy at the coppicing, the building, like where'd you get those skills from? Because you've done everything from scratch as well. And I'm always so, so impressed coming from a construction background, like, that is what I've done day in, day out. But um, yeah, I'm always so impressed. It's, it's very ethereal looking building work that I'm just like, oh man, something out of well, The Hobbit. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, firstly, thank you for the compliments. That's very kind of you. Um, I think mostly through necessity. Like I think I've, I've had to develop those skills. I haven't really had a choice. Like, you know, if you start a farm from scratch on a zero budget, then you have to develop skills that enable you to build the things you need for free almost so you know I'm, i guess building is a skill but also scavenging materials <laughs> hoarding materials <laughs> things like that you know i've um my my dad's very handy i've always grown up around you know i had inspirational figures around me and my dad's very handy he can lay bricks he can do electronics you know he's he's relative hand at carpentry these kind of things and although when I was younger, 
I didn't really express too much of an interest. I was too busy getting tattoos and playing guitar and, you know, chasing women, all that kind of stuff. Later in life, I guess I obviously took some of that on and through observing him, I, I learned that way too. But yeah, very much through necessity, through just trying your hand. You know, the, my very first, um, you know, chiseled joint was terrible. And three or four years down the line, it's improved now. You know, I can call myself a amateur carpenter, not an absolute... <laughs> I'm not going to swear. I'll try not to swear too much. <laughs> but, you know, skills develop over the years. You And, yeah, I think necessity is um, probably the key word I'd use to describe that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Having a similar sort of journey here that's just we we came on and forgot about the the building a home part of of this journey that we're on here at fanfield and then it was just oh shit how do we use a digger how do we <laughs> build a track in order to get our home on how do you then wire a caravan which jack's always helped me out with actually but how do you then yeah uh build build a greenhouse because we haven't got two grand to buy one or on all those things so yeah you, you do jump on and my old man always says to me oh i couldn't do what you're doing i'm like yeah, you could but the generational difference means that we've got youtube rather than just like a haynes manual or a book mm. from the library so we've mm-hmm. got we've got yeah so much knowledge at our fingertips that does help with that yeah and like you say like you can you've got friends you can lean on too that you know mm. you, i might with jack with his electrical background as you know somebody who's you know a click of a button where you can ask any question you need to and he's got an answer for you rather than having to flip through a, an encyclopedia or something mm. yeah. so doesn't mean he's not cursing is. every time i text him but. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> it's fucking chris again <laughs> yeah. oh he's gonna want some free sparking knowledge i know <laughs> just see an invoice in your email <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um alongside those amazing buildings on we can see on your instagram we've um seen that the permaculture is so important and you've mentioned it there but what what really does permaculture mean to you um i think just living in harmony with the 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 nature i like to refer to it as the nature i heard i heard somebody not of english tongue refer to nature as the nature once it's just stuck with me i like it (laughs) um just just immersing myself in it you know and not not working against it there's a brilliant book called um miraculous abundance yeah and there's a quote in there where he talks about um finding the the what's it is it jack we can remind me the counter flow or the counter oh oh man oh that's gonna pay me because that is by the way recommend anyone that's listening to read that book it's awesome um what are you trying to say instead of the resistance against it you go you go with precisely yeah you don't work against the flow you work you if and if you can't work at the very least with the flow then work with the counter um the words are failing me we'll we'll have to look (laughs) that up and do a post about it or something yeah it's it's worth it i'll put it in the show notes of the podcast yeah it's worth it what you're trying to say i know exactly yeah just just being in just uh, in the flow of nature but i just i can't stress that enough like just the modern agriculture is just so against natural pinch principles and how things work i just it's so simple like this permaculture just highlights the simplicity of how things grow and how we as humans can interact with the nature (laughs) i think the word we always say is symbiosis as well isn't it um, precisely yeah. symbiotic relationship and you say in the nature it's we we are nature we are mm-hmm. nature as much as that be and um 
yeah like we've all got jobs and it's not like a pyramid it's the ecology of like everyone's got a job and not mm -hmm. like we, the thing is we just try and control it which is always an issue yeah exactly and i don't try yeah that's a good point you don't don't try and control things like, i was like i work very hard and i work long hours on the farm but that's not because the work's grueling it's because i just want to i just want to create everything immediately like i'm kind of I'm patient, but I'm impatient. Like, you know, I want to see all of my plans come to fruition yesterday. <laughs> so I'm always working because I've got this vision in my head that I want to achieve. And I know that sitting on my ass, waiting for it to happen, won't make it happen. So I'm very motivated to enable nature to flourish in a place that was previously just, you know, a cow paddock. It was just grass with thistles. Um, and over the past two or three years, you know, working with natural principles, using permaculture as kind of, you know, and always in the back of my mind as inspiration, um, you know, enables me to do what I'm doing and to feed the households that I'm, I'm feeding, hopefully inspiring others to do the same as well. Well, we can certainly see that from your social mates. So it's coming across. Um... Do my best. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I love what you're talking about with permaculture there. Um, and I know that there'll be people, especially those running sort of a conventional veg box scheme or even one that's even more difficult to run where people can choose what's in it and things like that. How have you walked the line between growing with those permaculture principles in such ways as say setting up perennial food forests and that sort of thing, but walking the line between that and knowing you need this amount of veg ready for this amount of time and this amount of people each week? Yeah, that's, that's a, a really good question. <laughs> because obviously, within, I think from a permaculture point of view, you kind of, you, the idea is you, you enable nature to do its thing. But from a market gardening perspective, there's deadlines to meet, you know, and you need to have certain veggies ready at certain times. Yeah. Um, that kind of ties into my method of um, pest control as well, because I just try and, make sure there's enough for everybody so by kind of you guys do this too i'm sure but there's never any bare soil so there's always something growing um so in terms of where the pest comes in if the pests come in and prey on one crop i've got because the gardens fill up there's something else i can fall back on you know mm -hmm. um and in terms of timing if something's not ready exactly when i need it to be sure enough because the garden's full and I've worked very hard in long hours, there will be something ready at least to fill that box. Um, and just through experience, I guess, and through a little bit of forethought and knowing roughly when things are going to come through, you tie that in with your sowing and your planting out um, and just little tricks of the trade. Like, you know, if I, I know that that beetroot isn't quite ready and it needs to be ready next week, I'm going to go water that bed by hand rather than waiting for it to rain just to speed things up a little bit. Does that make sense? So just, there's all these little, just out of it, and you can't really read too much about that in many books. Um, there are, there is some literature out there, but I think a lot of it comes down to experience. Um, starting small, starting off like as, as Jack did and as you did in your gardens and allotments and mm. real focusing in on um, the intricacies, the nuances of certain crops so that when you do scale things up and you do have 30 customers or 100 customers expecting veg that week you, you've got these little tricks of the trade that you can call upon to meet the deadlines have you got any tips for anyone getting into permaculture do it just start <laughs> um 
there's no better way of learning than starting, I think, because then you learn from your own mistakes. Um, obviously, there's lots of books you can read. There's hundreds of books you can read. Um, as we discussed a moment ago, there's technologies. There's also hundreds of thousands of YouTube videos you can find, mm. um, Instagram accounts, social media. Um, but really, the, the best thing you can do, I, I feel, is just to get started, whether it's, you know, in your plant-based milk container growing microgreens or whether it's in your back garden or on your, your windowsill just just start learn from your mistakes and then if you want to if you enjoy it and scale up slowly definitely mate uh, there, there's something about it for me when i first saw it uh, working on a farm in australia it tapped into something in me that i feel is always it, i think we've spoke about this dan it kind of taps into something that's always been there and then when i was reading it i was like this is like a manual for how we should be living our life because it's old ancient techniques that have been kind of wrapped up in the word of permaculture in like a western way to understand it and then like there you go because it's all ancient techniques that are coming back to to heal the planet work with it and yeah for me it, it tapped into something quite kind of primal um that that's how well, i yeah, viewed I mean, it we, we wouldn't really be where we are now if it wasn't for food, would we? So for a long time, as humans, we've been connected with food and the growing of food, if not the, the foraging of it. It's definitely like we've, I think the, the phrase I used was this, like remembering, you, you remember that like it's inherent, you know, it's, yeah. it's in your blood. But, you know, if it wasn't for our ancestors learning how to grow corn with gourds and beans in a free sisters method, and mm. then, you know, so on and so on we we wouldn't be here because we've all starved to death so we know how to grow food we've been doing it for a very long time we've just had that that knowledge taken away from us through convenience and commercial agriculture yeah, now, do you think the last year's had a has a pos positive effect on that obviously it's been a, a weird 18 months for the world and we try not to say the the cmp words um that are very different cmp words to what we used to when we were lads but um yeah, it, it, have you seen that? Because there's, there's, I don't even know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's like a triangle. And obviously, at the bottom was like food and shelter and water, and then at the top was I don't know Roman Abramovich's multi-billion-pound yachts. And we've seen that over the last eighteen months almost flip on its head, where people, or, or certainly the things that people have needed most, have been food and shelter and water. So do you think that there's been a bit of a turn back as as the world sort of goes back to whatever we call normal these days? Do you think there's there's been positive lasting effects? I think so, yeah, because I think that's part of the reason why I part of the reason why I started doing what I'm doing too, you know, because society is inevitably unsustainable. The way we do mm. things, shit was always going to hit the fan. And I don't think shit has properly hit the fan yet. Mm. Um, so I think when it comes down to it and you have all of that convenience stripped away in terms of, oh, I can't go to the supermarket to get my, you know, my essential foods. Where's that food going to come from? And then that responsibility falls on, you know, you. Mm. So not as in you, Chris and Jack, as in like <laughs> you, as in I, as in like, yeah, shit, I need to feed myself. I need to feed my family. Yeah. And just the way we live now in tiny gardens and apartments um, without space to grow our own food or without the knowledge to go out and find wild foods, it's definitely been an insurgence since the um, the P word and the C word hit. <laughs> um, there are people have gone on foraging courses and, you know, their garden centers sold out of compost, garden centers sold out of seeds. Mm. People went bonkers. And perhaps that's where people woke up a little bit and realized, ah, yeah, we, we, we kind of need to eat. 
um, and someone else isn't going to provide that for us unless they're lucky enough to live next to or close to one of us lot. <laughs> yes. mm. but I think that's possibly why the CSA has done so well this year too like you know previously I've done week by week veg boxes and people have dropped in here and there yeah but this year the CSA has done so well so well I think as as well I, I mean I heard of the podcast you did with Lawrence last week and about the um the fundraisers he did and how mm. certain timings of um you know storms and destruction got a little bit of a sob story so people reached out and helped extra so mm. i think this year with csa models because of the, the the p and the c words csa models could be potentially a lot more successful because people need a supply of food yeah and when this when this episode comes out then it'll be the week after we had um tim dickens from community supported agriculture scheme um on the podcast and he was telling us that their members are like there's a lot of csas who aren't necessarily members of csa but their members went from i think 70 to 140 this year so it actually doubled so wow. it just gives yeah. an idea how many people moved into that model yeah so and i was talking to jack off off air um you know that's the model you're going to move to next year potentially as well right jack yeah, it, it kind of sold it to me more. I'm always hearing about it, um, but it, more the understanding of, of it a little bit more. And it, I, I personally think that's a really great episode uh, with Tim. R- great guy. Um, he explained it really well. And when you see those numbers as well, I, and it's making me realise that people sh- are more open to it. I, I've, I wasn't too sure how well it would be received. Um, but, but for example, I think Alex has gone with that model and he, he's got loads of sign-ups. And also as well, I've kind of established myself now and people know you. And post-COVID, as oh, I've said it. Um, <laughs> One of us had to. Uh, Better than the other C-word, yeah. mate. Better than the other C-word. <laughs> uh, post that, people are starting to see, oh, well, it's not that stable, the supermarkets, etc. So it is... The, the guarantees kind of coming from us yeah the weights on our shoulders of having a uh, say like the season's a little bit harder but your what what i liked what he said was oh you might not have got much tomatoes this week but the next week you're going to get a kilo <laughs> or, <laughs> or some, something like that you there, there is a you're going to get positives um coming back to you in that way in an abundance and, and the great thing what you're doing as well is we're adding recipes as well so you kind of making that zero waste part of the box a little bit more zero waste because they're using every part of the box hopefully uh through through that yeah i think that ties in with having such an array of veggies too like not wanting to give the same thing every week inevitably someone's going to receive something that they're going to be like what the hell is this Mm. when they receive a purple kohlrabi Mm. or some people have never had fresh fennel bulbs before you know they've had fennel tea but you give them a fennel bulb bleeding how do i do with this so offering recipe cards enables them to not only expand their culinary skills but you know intake more nutrition too that they were, didn't have access to before that it wasn't part of their weekly shop that they couldn't get access to at the supermarkets so i think csa models are awesome i think the whole small scale regenerative agriculture movement is awesome and i i love that we're all connected i love that you guys are doing this podcast i think it's it's the future man <laughs> thanks mate because i've got about four sound clips now i can use for adverts for this podcast yeah. so you, you just keep talking i'll keep clipping it up <laughs> it's the free beers i've had everything's just it's coming out of me i love you guys <laughs> well as well like it, it's really cool like talk, talking about beers and i'm sure we we'll get onto the inevitable question um later on but but people are sending pictures now being like oh 
end of day beer and then they're tagging it and just like that's <laughs> so yeah it's really it's just Food grower academy hashtag yeah it's, it, it's really cool we just want to make it more of like there's a chat amongst growers and get involved and then let's start your growing journey because we need more mm. of us don't we we're, we're doing our bit where we are but you need to do your bit where you are and it is happening like, you know I frequently get messages from people starting out and asking for advice um, so there is, there's a movement, it, it, albeit not necessarily as fast as we'd like it to be, is it, happening, I think. So, Yeah, definitely, mate. We've, we've talked a lot about your social media. So um, obviously we've scrolled through there to put a lot of questions up, but one that inevitably we had to talk about because we've seen, I mean, it's coppicing and the amazing things you do with, with Willow and other like whips. And we've seen you make rattles for your children from <laughs> Willow things. So can you sort of tell us about that? How did you get into the, like, the coppicing side and using, uh, use, especially Willows? Like uh, you're my one-stop shop for getting inspired to use them. And I must have like 2000 on the farm now. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just an amazing crop, isn't it? It just grows yeah. so quickly. It's so mm. easy, too. You stick a stick in the ground, and two years later, it's a massive tree if yeah. you haven't coppiced it yet. Um, it's just I, it's that, that whole permaculture concept of you know minimum input, maximum output. You stick a stick in the ground, and for 20, 30 years, you've got a supply of wood or building materials or something to be arty and crafty with. Um, I think I... I can't remember exactly when I got into it. I can't remember the exact date, but I, I know there's one particular man... Um, really inspired me to go deeper into the realms of coppicing and working with willows specifically um was an italian guy called um rennie antonelli and he was the founder of the the green backyard in peterborough which is a community garden and he was there for 10 years or so he founded it with his with his daughter sophie and he was mad into willow and um he can literally go out into the the willow coppice of a pair of secateurs and come back 10 minutes later and you've got the most incredible dragonfly or like, you know, he's, he can weave a basket in like half an hour. Wow. Um, so again, like, you know, just that, that, that knowledge from the older generation coming down that you might not have necessarily um, uh, absorbed consciously, but subconsciously a few years down the line, you're like, oh, I know how to do this because I watched that old boy do it. Um, and now that I've got my own land and I've got space to grow my own willow, um, it's just an abundant resource. And I, I love the, the aesthetic. But one of the biggest compliments I've got was f- from my partner, mm-hmm. Susie, because, you know, I've built stuff on the farm and we're in rural Norfolk, like Tony St. Lawrence. It's, it's, it's fairly flat out here as well. And I think um, too special, apart from a, a nice hedgerow here and there in between the agricultural fields. But I made, I made something out of Willow and she's like, wow, I feel like I'm in Bali. Mm. And that, that was like the best compliment ever. I said, if I can make a girl feel like she's in Bali in the middle of a field, um, <laughs> then I'm, I'm doing something, right? So yeah, and I, I, I love Willow, like, you know, from turning it into baskets, into obelisks, defences, to, to rattles. It's so versatile. Yeah. And renewable, it's green, you know. It's, it could be, I think some countries, especially in Scandinavia, they're using it for, um, uh, for alternative wood sources too. So they're actually, they, there's... I don't want to use the word monoculture, but there's large fields of willow and they're coppicing it annually and turning it into pelleted form wood fuel. Instead of cutting down trees, you're coppicing a tree, which is just going to grow back the next year. So in terms of its sustainability and its beauty and its abundance, yes, I can't, can't really fault the willow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing and it's super inspiring, Dan. Like I've always been really in awe of that skill you've gained. And I'm sure in future... Uh, you can teach people as well 
Um, like when when people can start visiting or or whatever, if you could do workshops, whenever that may be. But mm. yeah, it inspires us both to use the recycling products and you, you build buildings on your farm. Uh, but what one this year that we've both found cool, and I know Chris found so cool, we've done it himself. Is your uh, your greenhouse? Uh, can you tell us about oh, yeah. the project of the greenhouse, please? Well, that's just out of necessity too. Every, every market garden needs a greenhouse, right? Yeah. Like, I think yeah. previously I was trying to, well, I, I tried, it, it worked to some extent, but I was, you know, using greenhouses for germination, which, as you guys know, the temperatures fluctuate greatly in a greenhouse. On a sunny day, to, like today, prime example, it's probably dangerously hot in there. Yeah. It's embarrassingly hot, probably like 50, 55 degrees in the polytunnel, which for germinating seedlings, mm, no, no, it's not going to happen. Um, so I needed somewhere that was going to be a slightly of milder temperature. And, you know, I know when you visited Jack and you walked in the greenhouse, you complimented the temperature and you commented on how nice it was in there. It was mild, right? It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Um, so a greenhouse is perfect for germinating seeds. And I've got a lot of space where I needed to plant plants. So I needed somewhere. Um, in terms of what I was built out of is just hoarded materials. Like we mentioned before, I haven't, you know, Apart from this year, I think this year with the CSA model, I, I could I would consider myself financially comfortable now. But in previous years, you know, I've, I haven't had large sums of money to go out and invest in infrastructure. So I've had to make space on the farm to hoard things until I've got enough hoarded materials to make something useful. So you know, one window I'm not going to do much with, but when I get seven or eight windows now we're talking you know when i get seven or eight clear panels of roofing um and enough timber to join all that together then boom it's a greenhouse it's not just a pile of junk in the middle mm. of the of, or in the corner somewhere you know um and i think if i had tried to have built that three or four years ago it probably would have fallen down by now but because of the experience i've gained over the years as we've previously discussed um it, it works and so far like you know it hasn't really been empty i've continually kept seedlings on the go and even if I haven't had space to plant them out, I've, I've made sure there's a continual supply of seedlings ready to replace crops as soon as that bed's clear mm. because I know the customer's waiting and they've already paid. So I've got a responsibility to fulfill. That's perfect. That's exactly, it's, just, it's, a great, it's great. And I know, I know Chris, you, you've, uh, you was inspired definitely, wasn't it? Yeah, completely. I mean, I must say, I almost ripped off your design, mate. So I hope you don't mind. Yeah. But no, I, I remember Go messaging ahead. you. <laughs> I remember messaging him like, "Where'd you get all those windows from?" You said, "Look, mm. just chat to chat to a, a double glazing fitter or something." And and I did, and it, and it was amazing how much like some people might be listening, going, "Yeah, but I need that greenhouse built now," or they might hear this in the spring and go, "I need that now." I, I mean, I I messaged a couple of double glazing um fitters one came in and i had sort of enough windows to build the greenhouse and then i built an extension with windows and doors um all off the back of that and it happened all within a couple of weeks then i spoke to um someone was delivering some potatoes and they had loads of pallets in the van i said look can you drop some off and they kept dropping them back so that was then the main structure underneath was made out of it and then mm -hmm. i mean um then i just had some hoarded roof panels so yeah it happened all very quickly as well so it can take ages to hoard those or have reach out like we said earlier reach out to some friends or tradesmen around it's amazing how much someone else's waste is is your treasure i think it really helps being in one spot for a, a while too so then you can begin to make these connections and um, because i've been here several years now 
I, I know local tradesmen, I know local tree surgeons, I know some of the other local smallholders. So I have access to those people and their surplus materials. Whereas if I was to be, you know, on virgin ground in a city I've never been to before, I'd need to, I wouldn't have necessarily those people to call upon. So I think that comes with time as well. That's, you know, being in one spot, I've been here, this is my third season now. So, you know, like I said, I, I know people that can bring me stuff and I've developed relationships with the local community, which makes access to those materials a lot easier. Sure. Awesome. I've, I've seen a lot of you producing amazing compost on your farm and something I've seen you talk about on social media is ch- your chicken composting system. Can you tell us a bit about that and how it works? Yeah, sure. So um, the chickens have an enclosure. I'd like them to be free range, but free ranging chickens in a market garden is a recipe for disaster Yeah, and no income and no produce. So <laughs> not a good <laughs> idea. So the chickens are having their, have their enclosure. They've got, um, they've got a roof. They've got a large amount of space to roam around in. Um, and similar to Charles Dowding's setup where he has like, you know, a roofed, um, composting setup where you can control the, the moisture input. I have that, but it's much smaller version in the chicken run. Um, and instead of continually cleaning the chickens out, you just add more and more material, whether it be um, my discarded, you know, holy lettuce offcuts, which the chickens eat and then poop out. And that's the, the nitrogen that goes into the, the mix. And then I add wood chip or straw. Um, I also have a couple of local families that keep a lot of guinea pigs. So I have a regular supply of wood shavings, which has a lot of guinea pig manure in it and inevitably some scraps of guinea pig um, food, which the chickens love to scratch around in. So there's a really good mix of greens and browns, plus the scratching action of the chickens. Um, I go in there, I don't know, perhaps it depends on the time of year, uh, but I'd say I'll probably go in there on average, once a fortnight, maybe once a month. Um, and I'll, I'll take my pitchfork in there. I've got a real nice old school farmer's pitchfork, long handle, and I'll just turn things over, mound them up. The chickens scratch it all around again. And yeah, it just produces some really nice compost. The only issue I have found is that it doesn't necessarily get up to high temperature to kill off all of the, the seeds because I do put in a lot of scraps from the garden and lots of weeds. So everything goes in there. Um, it's superb. And the plants that I plant in there thrive. There's just a little bit of weeding to do. Unlike, you know, your traditional composting setup where you hot compost in where you can kill the seeds off. But yeah. I like to interact with the chickens. The chickens are awesome. I go in there and they, <laughs> that's okay. Now you're getting down. You're, you're finding out the home truths now. Sometimes the chickens really stress me out. Because you you will probably know when I go in there with a pitchfork and turn the ground and I want to put the pitchfork in a similar spot, the chickens are there under your yep. feet. Yeah. And it's like it's like, dude, I've got some work to do. Just just give me a minute. But they're just there immediately. And they they want to get the worms, they want to get the bugs, they just want to be where the action's at. 
And I try not to get stressed, but sometimes if it's hot, I get a little bit stressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's great, great to hear about that. I mean, I adore chickens. It's a big part of our setup here, and we've been putting in something similar. We, um, in fact, it was Jack who sent me the link to uh, Jeff Lawton's chicken composting system and how that works, mm-hmm. and, and we're trying to put that in on a like for fairly medium scale here. Um, but yeah, someone was here the other day and, and witnessed how hard it is to then turn, turn that <laughs> compost heap. They said, oh, "Why don't you just get like a, get your neighbor's tractor in and just use the the front loader on that and and tip it and i said i'd kill 10 chickens like they just won't get out of the way and that's yeah. enough with with my fork alone. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so now i completely get that man and they're fantastic though, for a zero waste system like in terms of reducing any waste from the farm and other people's waste from you know externally from the farm too it all just goes in and you know my my, my partner susie she's very into the zero waste lifestyle and Although vegan, she's very much into the the zero waste aspect of the chicken keeping. Awesome, nice, mate. awesome. I'm, I love that bit of info because I think a lot of people can take from that. Uh, and it's the zero, it's the zero waste bit that that is really it's making that one step further. You're you're regenerative, but zero waste as well. It's just kind of very pu- it's very pure, which which is what we need more of. Yeah, we really want to push the zero waste side of things. I mean, with the veg boxes, with the food production, we all know about the issues in the world and mm. plastic waste and stuff. So that's a, that's a big driving force behind what we do is reducing the waste we produce and helping others to reduce their waste as well. So unfortunately, Danny, this chat, we could talk for hours, mate, but we've got to, we're going to wrap it up. But what's coming next year for Lawson's Market Garden? Can you give us any um, insight into what's coming next? Next year. Um, so next year, we hope to have um, a lot more uh, solar um, set up on the farm. We're investing in some solar. We're building a studio on the farm. Um, I, we're calling it a studio. It's going to be a, a space dedicated to admin and to the storing of dry goods um, so that we can include lots of organic British seasonal dried goods into our veg boxes. And there'll be options to add that in of any quantity into the veg boxes alongside things like you know, homemade apple cider vinegar and pickles. You can add eggs and honey onto veg boxes. So we really want to improve our online admin infrastructure, if that makes sense. And we're doing that by installing new solar arrays, by building um, dedicated dry storage spaces to um, I've pretty much reached capacity in terms of the, you know, small plot intensive farming space. So there's not really any more room for me to put any more beds. But I do hope that, as we were discussing earlier on in the video, that the, the, more, the perennials that I've planted become more abundant, some more apples, um, more plums, more cherries, more blueberries, all of that kind of thing. Um, and potentially expanding the CSA, not by much. We don't want to work too much harder than what we're doing now. Um, we feel like we're working pretty damn hard already, but we may increase, say, from 30 boxes a week up to 50 boxes. Um, but we do really want to keep that off time to ourselves too. So we're going to maintain the six-month CSA season yeah. um, and have six months off to build more cool stuff. That's a, Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect, mate. Brilliant. Love it so it's that time of the podcast where we do a little quick fire round so we're just sweating already we're gonna fire away (laughs) and the first one is what's your favorite tool on the farm i stopped my springtime rake man i love raking my beds 
Mm. That was quick, right? That was a quick response. I, yeah, I, I like my rake. Yeah. I know that I like my rake and my rake's awesome and I like raking. <laughs> <laughs> so spring tine rake, do you use that for sort of just taking off we- basically weeding before they're getting their roots in or? Just for bed prep. So I'll, I'll clear a crop. So when I'm bed flipping, basically. So once I've harvested something, um, I like to string out my bed. So I've got my borders and I'll, I'll rake it over so it's nice and level. Obviously, it's all no dig. So it's a very, very shallow Till thing if you like mm. um and yeah i just i just love the aesthetic i love the motion it's meditative for me um and i love planting into a freshly raked bed it's very satisfying well, there's a reason people have zen gardens and little rakes and boxes of sand isn't <laughs> it so so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just need a little deer scare right now don't yeah. deer scare. <laughs> um is there a crop that you grow that you know you shouldn't really because it doesn't really make you any money but you do anyway um globe artichokes i love them they're beautiful mm. and i think to the right customer they're very valuable but not many people can be asked to deal with a globe artichoke <laughs> um so i literally just let them flower mostly the flowers are incredible the mm. geometric shapes the color of the flowers the amount of nectar available to the insects that um that love them is yeah and they're huge they're structural i, I like them a lot but i yeah i wouldn't take the time to prepare one to eat them <laughs> anti-pasty though you know globe artichokes are delicious but i'll leave that to somebody else yeah, yeah. i said you see bees do roly polies in them and it's like something from avatar they wild. It's, it's beautiful um, yeah so dan what's your favorite farm hack i generally keep things really simple man i don't i haven't got that many like you know secret tricks it's gardening simple plants are simple well top of my head but you know i I really highly value my, my chicken composting system, the deep mulch bedding system. Um, I think that in terms of the capability of producing your own compost and um, reducing the amount of money you have to spend on buying in compost is, I guess you could consider that a hack, right? You know, um, really dialing in your, your compost production. But I think a lot of people probably do that already. I don't know if you consider that a hack. But you're, you've put me on the spot. So I'm going to say my chicken composting and my access to compost that's so good you couldn't buy. Yeah, yeah, that, that, make, one. that makes a difference after last year, doesn't it, really? Um, yeah, the shortages of compost in a, in a, in a P-word world. <laughs> yeah, and the price that it went to as well, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it may be the same as, as the last question I asked, but what's your least favorite crop that you grow? And that might be just because of the taste or it might be that it, you hate harvesting it or something. <laughs> <like> <laughs> uh, my least favorite crop to grow. Um, I, I, hmm. I, I, I can tell you the crop that I have the most trouble with. Yeah. Um, which is definitely carrots. It really winds me up when I see people just having a breeze with carrots. How the bleeding hell? <laughs> we both feel I've your had, pain on that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, well, I, you know, I've sown five beds of carrots this year, and only two of them have come to any kind of worthwhile fruition. And they were the two that were in the polytunnel, the very first yeah. thing this yeah. se- this season. Everything else has just been it, it's been so patchy. Um, but I guess that might that might tie into a hack actually. If you've got a patchy bed of carrots, don't scrap them because carrots are awesome. Just in a plant, other stuff in the gaps. So make use of that space. Mm. Yeah, that, that's well. Like yeah, that. that's well. So rather well than said. just scrapping half a bed, I'd plant. So for example, I've done that with kale. Um, I've I had a really patchy bed of carrots, and I've just 
where the patches where I, I popped in kale just to make full use of that bed and not to waste the carrots that had come through. Nice. Yeah, well said, mate. That's really good because even sometimes I see patches like that. That's kind of gone over my head where I've been so busy, but even I've just it's kind of kicked me into gear. Just I think I've got a few patches at the minute, but it seems like everyone's really struggling with carrots this year. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it is. Last year I, I couldn't believe how well they done, and I was pulling them out. If you're jang cedar, yeah, yeah, at, and it feels like little bit pointless this year i've just got a bed coming through that looks like it's gonna do well but i don't know is it a weather thing i was thinking it was seeds and then we even put the jang through one of your beds and nothing really came of it yeah so i'd say that batch was primarily the seed because if you had issues with it and i had issues with it it obviously wasn't like a soil condition no. it was i think it was perhaps some of the seed but i've had big issues with moles this year i've had i've got a quite a strong population of moles and obviously keeping a carrot bed moist for nine days to get them germinated encourages a lot of worm activity which yeah. brings in all the moles which then dig up all of the freshly germinated seeds which that causes me a little bit of stress going back <laughs> to the pre uh, back in the, the earlier in the discussion i get stressed about moles and <laughs> <laughs> um, the question that we do love to ask and everyone wants to know do you prefer a morning coffee on the farm morning coffee or tea or an afternoon beer on the farm and we we're, we're trying to not make people have a choice now it's one or the other because okay. it's so easy to be like yeah i like morning coffee and then afternoon beer no 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 make a decision we need to know All right, well it'll be morning coffee it has to be a morning coffee although i have got a beer on the go now <laughs> or a, a cider i generally only drink around other people i don't really drink on my own whereas coffee is a morning go-to consistently um I'm definitely not a purist, but yeah, I like the you know a drink every now and then. But um, coffee, man. Mm. For, for me, Danny, it's the way you make it. Because I, 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 when I come to visit, we we made a tea from the fire, and it took ages to whistle. But it's kind of like it was a treat. <laughs> but it's a treat. Yeah. You, you're enjoying it because it's the natural process of you making it, and it and it's very therapeutic as well. Um, that's what that, and that and even if you've got an allotment to anyone out there um definitely check out danny's last post about how to make a pizza oven um, yes. because <laughs> that was something that like i kind of sometimes forget about why where why i've done this and what i was doing on my allotment because i was so into stuff like that having a beer um having a cup of tea even if it was a camping stove having a little fire but that that pizza oven I know I've kind of gone off track a little bit. I just want people to go Love see that. your Instagram for that. <laughs> so simple, so stripped back, and the pizza looks amazing as well. Dude, there's always time for pizza. To talk about pizza, there's, there's always time. Um, but yeah, I could have spent hundreds of pounds, and we had, my, like Susie and I had been looking into by spending several hundred pounds on a, on a prefab pizza oven. Mm. And the, the particular company I was, I was trying to message and get hold of were based in Norfolk. Is that nice? They're a small family-run business. They're based in Norfolk. Ideal. I'll give them my cash. They never got back to me. They never responded. So I thought, you know, F that. I'm going to build my own now. 47 bricks and three um, slabs. And, you know, 10 minutes later, I had a pizza oven. It took half an hour to heat up. We spent 10 minutes making a dough. And six minutes after that, we had a pizza. And... Wow. The look on both of our faces, man. It was a uh, homemade pizza with homemade ingredients. It was next level. So this winter, I'm going to build a big cob pizza oven with a pagoda. It's going to have a dedicated space because 
pizza is life other than hummus hummus is life but hummus <laughs> on pizza is like <laughs> hummus on pizza is like um what's the word enlightenment <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be watching out for that because that's on my plans as well Mate. it's big time on yeah, my plans. and those timings that you just said like even if you probably put the timing of building the pizza oven in there it's you still couldn't have got a pizza delivered within the time of the 10 minutes for dough and six minutes <laughs> no. for cooking so you smashed no, it. it absolutely smashed it yeah so simple why spend money when there's there's rubbish everywhere you know so mm. Absolutely love it. Um, if anyone's listening and wants to find out more about Danny and his project, it's Lawson's Market Garden on pretty much everything, right? Pretty much everything. Laws at Lawson's Market Garden, Facebook. No, not everything. Just Facebook and just Instagram. I don't do Twitter. Um, although there, I do have a, an amateur YouTube account. That's going to be something that might, will probably be improved next year as well. We want to have more of a YouTube presence. I think just being able to track the progress of the farm and the growth of the plants. And mm. for me personally, just to be able to look back at the progress and how, you know, a small tree becomes a big tree, that kind of thing. I, I'd like to look back and see that in video format. How awesome. Love it. Danny, thanks so much for your time, mate. It's been great. And I know it's hot and that sun's still on you. So go get in the shade, brother. <laughs> I'm going to go jump in the pool. I've, I've put um, a big, a big plastic tub in the polytunnel. So we've got a kind of off grid, jerry-rigged hot tub if you like wow um so i'm gonna go get in that with L- beer living the dream mate living the dream. <laughs> right brilliant chat danny really pleasure and i think a lot of people get a lot out of this so did we yeah, Thank thanks, man. See you, buddy. Sorry for having a bit of a meltdown then. I was getting pretty hot and sweaty, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Thanks, Danny. Bye, mate.